And so, Father, that is our prayer today, that you would be lifted high. Why? Because your word says that if you be lifted high, you will draw all people unto you. So, Father God, we lift up not ourselves, we lift up not our burdens, we lift up not our problems, we lift up not our enemies, not our headaches, but we lift up Jesus. Because if Jesus be lifted up, no matter what we go through in this life, we can overcome. And now, Father, for the preaching of your word, your people need to be fed today. So I do pray, Lord God, that your word would fall on good ground, that it would take root, that it would produce great fruit. May we leave here uplifted and encouraged and inspired. May we leave here better than when we entered in because we heard from you. It is in Jesus' name we pray all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them out. If you're a guest with us, you have chosen a good Sunday to hang out with us. This is our second installment in our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. Um, If you are not a Christian or if you're a new Christian, new to the things of God, um, we want to encourage you, if you have your Bible and you can't readily get to 1 Peter, there's a wonderful table of contents that you can find, uh, and that'll help you navigate your way there. If you're new school and you're digital, there's wonderful free Bible apps that you can download, and they're easily searchable. But meet me in 1 Peter, actually chapter 1. And pick me up in verse 13. So last week we looked at the first 12 verses. This week we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21. Peter says these words, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's needs, conduct yourselves with fear Throughout the time of your key word, we unpacked it last week, circle it, exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Speaking of Jesus, verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Don't judge me, but one of my favorite films growing up, I'm a child of the 80s, one of my favorite films growing up was Coming to America. Don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. Just let your soul glow. Anyways, don't even, if you don't know about that, don't worry about it. 
In this film, the basic narrative of this film is you got a guy by the name of Prince Hakim, and he's from a faraway place called Zamunda. And as the film opens up, he's a little disappointed in his parents' selection of his bride. And so being a little disappointed in that, he decides to go on a mission and come to America to find his bride. Since he's on a mission to come to America and find his bride, by definition, he's not going to stay here forever. He's just passing through. He's on a mission. And yet, while he comes to America, you pick up on it right away, this guy's different. He doesn't look like, talk like, or act like what a typical American would look like, talk like, or act like. It's, it's obvious that he's from a faraway place. If you're here today and you know Christ as Lord and Savior, when you got saved, you became a citizen of a faraway place called heaven. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, don't you know that your citizenship is in heaven? That, that, that we're just down here passing through and the reality is because I'm a part of the kingdom of God, a citizen of heaven, that my loyalties up there must trump any loyalties down here. That before I'm Republican, I'm Christian. Before I'm Democratic, I'm Christian. Before I'm black, I'm Christian. Before you're Chinese, you're Christian. Before you're Mexican, you're Christian. Before you're a Kappa or an Omega, you're Christian. I mean, we laugh at that, but I think some of us forget that. That God is not sitting up in heaven just fretting with the Holy Spirit over these elections coming up in November. What are we going to do? No, God is in control. And our citizenship is in heaven. This is an important word for us, especially here in the Bay. I mean, we talked about this last week. I mean, we're, our family is new to the Bay. We just moved here as a family July 15th, man. And it's easy to get enamored with this place. The weather is off the chain and the palm trees and the mountains. It's just absolutely amazing. My, my God brother is here. He just turned 30 and we've been spending time together this weekend, man. And we're probably going to go to Monterey. Monterey. Unbelievable. I can hop in my car and go there. Surely there's got to be one of those in heaven. I mean, you just think of how beautiful it is and the weather and the, the innovation and the intelligence and the creativity. And I think it's important. And the reason why we're going through this series is we need to be reminded generally as Americans, the Disneyland of the world, but especially here in the Bay, enjoy it. Just don't get enamored with it. You're passing through. That there's going to come a point when God's going to say to you, give me back my breath and we're going to behold our maker face to face. This world is not all there is. We're just passing through. 
Now, last week, this word showed up in our text. This week, it showed up in our text as well. I wanted you to underline or circle the word exile. And we learned last week that Peter is writing in Greek. And the Greek word for exile, it's, it's a bit of, a, of an oxymoron. The Greek word for exile actually means the close stranger. It speaks on two levels. It speaks of someone who is from a faraway place geographically and yet culturally in our context um, uh, spiritually it is a person who's close so the idea when Peter calls us exiles he is acknowledging that that ultimately I'm a citizen of a faraway place called heaven but I just kind of live in this close space here on earth I am an exile I am a spiritual immigrant don't get comfortable Brian you're passing through You're passing through. This world is not ultimately your home. If there's one word I want you to write down when it comes to this idea of exile, if you miss this word, you'll you'll miss the whole lesson. The word exile fundamentally means to be different. In fact, if I were to put a a label on this lesson, a tag on this text, I would simply call this little message this morning, exile is spelled D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T, different. When God saved you, when God saved me, he has a unique calling on those of us who call ourselves Christians, and that is, he does not call us to look like the world. He calls us to be different from the world. This is the great tension, that we are in the world. It's where I work, it's where I live, where I play. But while I'm in the world, I'm not to be of the world. So that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, You need to know, if you're asking, what does it look like to be a Christian? Fundamentally, it means to be different. Here's what I'm saying. If on your job or in your your dormitory or, or at your college campus or wherever it may be in your neighborhood, if you've been rubbing shoulders with non Christians for a significant period of time, and they don't smell anything different about you, you can't really say, say you're saved. That's a hard word. If you're living in your neighborhood, and if you put up, by the way, a for sale sign tomorrow morning, and you move out of your neighborhood, and number one, the neighborhood doesn't miss you, you failed. And if the neighborhood doesn't look at you and go, that family is different. Not that you think you're better than people. They're just different. See, to be different, here it is. It fundamentally means that to some, I'm appealing. But to others, I'm appalling. I'm going too fast this morning. I want you to lean into this. God saved you. He put his Holy Spirit inside of you, which is the third member of the Trinity. You have God living in you, and you mean to tell me the dudes at the frat house can't see a difference? So, so to be different means to some, I'm appealing. It's what the Bible calls the aroma of Christ. 
But what is an aroma to some is a stench to others. So that to be saved means appealing and appalling. You need Bible. Jesus on the cross. Crucified between two thieves. One is mocking him. And the other wants to know more about him. Appealing and appalling. So that if you're here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you the fine print right now. Before you come to know Jesus Christ, I want you to know this. Following Jesus in the Bay Area in 2016 is hard. It's hard. Because we live in a society, hear it now, that that is becoming more and more and more appalled at Christians. This ain't your grandmama's America. Check that box. We, we are living in a society that is becoming more and more appalled. So, so here's the deal. I want you to imagine yourself. Let's say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've been invited to, to speak to 10 million people in the Bay. Only 3 to 4% are Christian. Actual statistic. And, and, and the question put before you that you need to just expound upon is, you're talking to 10 million people in the Bay. Here's what I believe to be true about Christianity. And you tell me, with these four statements that you're going to make, if they're going to boo you or cheer for you. Statement number one, look at it with me. You get up and you say, I believe that being good isn't good enough to get you into heaven. Only a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Are they booing? Statement number two, you say, I believe that sex is a wonderful gift from God only to be used in marriage. Are they booing? Statement number three, you say, while we're on the subject of marriage, I believe that the only marriages God recognizes are those between a man and a woman. Are they booing you? Finally, you say, I believe that while there is forgiveness, it's actually not a woman's right to choose what she does with the baby in her body. Are you getting invited back for return engagement? So what are we saying here? God saved you. God says, I got a call on your life. My call is that you're different. Not that you act like you're better than. My call on your life is you're different. That I have planted you in that neighborhood. In my divine sovereignty, I made sure you got the loan for that house in that neighborhood. It's where I've planted and placed you. And I planted and placed you so that you just don't pull up every day after work, zip into your garage, hang in your house all day, get up in the morning, get out that same garage in that car, never interact with anybody. No, I want you to interact with people. And when you interact with people, may they see something different. Different. Different about your life. But God says, strap on your seatbelts. This society is getting to a place soon enough. It may not happen in my time. It'll probably have my kids' time where to say you're a Christian, you're going to end up being persecuted. So God is saying, lean into it. I am not calling you to look like the world. There should be something 
different about you. And what's different about you is now we talked about this last week. It's not that you win a Grammy for, you know, I shot your wife song of the year. I shot your wife. Then you get up and say, Thanksgiving, honor and glory to God. Who's ahead of my life. That ain't different. So there's a call. So here's, 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 here's what we should feel. We should almost feel like a, like a sixth grader on the first day of middle school where there's this, this pressure to conform. God is saying to us right here in the Bay, the effectiveness of your witness for me is not ultimately what flows out of your lips, but out of your life. That we actually do damage to the gospel when our lips are out of alignment with our lives. You're talking to someone who blew it miserably. If you're a high school student, I blew it miserably in high school. I remember hanging out with Cedric Bell. Cedric Bell and I in high school, we used to drink, don't judge me, Old English 800. That was a sin. And even if it wasn't a sin, don't ever do that. We stand on corner, drink Old English 800. Cedric wasn't a believer. We used to party, do all kinds of worldly stuff together. But because I grew up in a Christian home, sometimes I feel really convicted about that. Then I try to share my faith with Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ with Cedric, while we drink at Old English 800. I remember one day we, we had, we had just come off a weekend partying together, art class on that Monday. I'm trying to share Christ with Cedric. I'll never forget what Cedric said. Cedric stopped me in my presentation on Christ. He says, Brian, I don't understand you Christians. We do the same thing. We were just partying together. He says, Christians and non-Christians seem to do the same thing. The only difference is once it's over, y'all leave with a guilty conscience and I don't. So if following Jesus is just going to give me a guilty conscience, I don't want it. We do damage to the gospel when our lips are out of alignment with our lives. So Paul says, rather Peter says, I want you to lean into it. You're in exile. You're in exile. You're in exile. You are in exile. You are different. Not better than. You're different. I, it used to really bother me walking up into the black man's country club, the barbershop, walking up into the barbershop. And folk, folk going, hey, that's Rev, don't cuss around him. That used to bother me. Now, now part of me goes, no, no, that's good. I never demanded that. But if you feel something different. Hopefully it's the Jesus in me you're feeling, and that should make you uncomfortable to say certain things around me. So you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you're going, why should I live a different life? Why should I be different? Peter says, Three quick things, if you're here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Three quick, quick reasons as to why you should live a different life. And look, I hate the way he says it. I'm going to say it the way he says it, and then we'll try to soften it up a little bit, which I really shouldn't have to do. But, but this is what he says. He says these three things, and he drops the mic. Here's what he says. If you don't know Jesus, you're going, why should I live a different life? He says these words. 
He says, therefore, preparing your minds, verse 13, for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here it is. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile way. So here's three reasons, he says, why you should want to follow Christ and be different. He says, if you don't know Jesus, I hate this, I hate it. He says, you're ignorant. He says, you're controlled, you're dominated by misplaced passions. And ultimately, life without Christ is futile. Let me soften it up. Now, wait a minute. I don't like that, Pastor. He's calling me ignorant. I got a PhD. I got an MBA. I got an EDD. What do you mean? I'm ignorant. He's not saying, he's not saying, and you know this, he's not saying that to not know Christ means that you can't kind of have any kind of intellectual acumen when it comes to anything in life. No, of course, you're going to be extremely intelligent. High IQs, ACE to SAT, and PhD in physics, and MBA from Stanford, so on and so forth. He says, yes, you can be intelligent in all those things. He says, but here's the problem. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're actually a kindergartner in what really matters. PhD in physics, but when it comes to purpose, meaning, significance, value, not even a GED. Because you can't get that at Stanford. You can only get that in Jesus. That's why, to put it gently, there will be PhDs who are spending an eternity separated from God. But then there'll be people like my grandmama who don't even have a high school degree. But she knew Jesus. And she walked with him. And she talked with him. Second thing, he says, not only are you ignorant as it relates to the things of God, he actually says you're dominated by misplaced passions. The word for passions here isn't just sexual. It's actually a broad category. It speaks of a strong desire or, or a self-indulgent person. Now, here's the deal. We've all got passions in this place. We've all got desires in this place. Life without Christ, though, you are dominated by the wrong one. So some of us, maybe it is sexual. Internet pornography or, or, or just indulging myself with any person I can get my hands on. It's all about me and my happiness and my fulfillment and me, 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 me. And you're dominated by that. Others of us, maybe it's a success passion. You're dominated by success and career advancement. And it causes you to be a workaholic. And, and you've had marriages that have split up over it. You just can't turn it off when it comes to work. Performance and success, that is your God. Others of you, it's people-pleasing. It dominates you. And for someone to show any kind of displeasure in you, your whole world crumbles in. Others of you, your family is your passion. Here's the problem. Those things, some of those are even good things. But if Christ is not your dominant passion, they're bad things. What happens to a person who's ignorant to the things of God, who's dominated by misplaced passions. Ultimately, he says in verse 18, you live futile, Greek word there, empty lives. Here's the head scratcher. We live in Teslaville. 
nothing wrong with Teslas, but you can have a Tesla, you can live in a perfect house, you can have the corner office, you can have all the money in your bank account, and yet feel profoundly empty at the same time. Teslas don't give fulfillment, only Jesus does. Money does not give fulfillment. And some of you are sitting here going, man, I've got the degrees. I've checked everything off. But, but there's something inside of me when I pull up into my house here in the Bay Area that is just, this is empty. This is the great paradox. We know this guy. Go ahead and put his image up there. Richard Pryor. He's considered the gold standard when it comes to comedians and comedy. I mean, if there's a Mount Rushmore of comedians, he's front and center. I mean, you, you, would, you would look at anybody in their profession and you would go, if you're the gold standard, if, if you're what everybody's aspiring to be, you've got to be fulfilled. I tell you, I've read biographies on Richard Pryor. He was not fulfilled. Drug addict, abusive to women, profoundly empty. Put the next image up. Like, if you're a singer and your nickname is The Voice, <laughs> you got to be fulfilled. I mean, you, you, you just look at her, you go, hundreds of millions of dollars, over 100 million albums sold. You're called The Voice. You've got to be fulfilled. She says she was a follower of Jesus Christ, but something was tragically wrong when you find somebody dead of a drug overdose in their bathtub. Empty. Put the next image up. And that's many of us tomorrow when we go to work or Wednesday. People in New York, people in the Bay, people all over our world. Friends, you may be a go-getter. You may have money. You may have climbed the ladder of success. But Peter says, if Jesus is not at the core of your life, empty. Here's the flip side. You can be Poe. Not poor. You can't even afford the other O and the R. Poe. But if Jesus is at the center, fulfilled. My oldest son, man, he's gotten into these shoes and, um, you know, he got the, the Michael Jordan 11s. Anybody know about Jordan 11s? Anybody know about Jordan 11s? Yes, yes. One person, one person. Jordan 11s are like rare. Well, his rich uncle bought him a pair of Jordan 11s. I told him, I told my son, don't get used to that because you're not getting that here. Jordan 11s. But, but I told him, as he was lacing up his shoes, so excited. I said, son, enjoy them. But them shoes ain't going to last long. So you'll have the Jordan 11s and feel empty. Only Jesus Christ can satisfy. Well, let's go home on this one. God says, I've saved you. I've got a call on your life. And my call is that you would be different, not better than different. 
that people would see your life and just go something different to some, the aroma of Christ that's appealing others. That's appalling. That's okay. You can't be an effective follower of Jesus and a people pleaser at the same time. So there's difference. So what should be different about us? Let's go home on this one. Three quick things. He says in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope, set your hope, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's called you to be different. And the first thing that's different about you is we have a different hope, not wish. So many people confuse hope and wish. I wish, you know, this relationship would work out. I wish that loan would go. That's not hope. Scott McKnight, scholar Scott McKnight says, here's hope. Hope is keeping a tight grip on the life to come and a loose grip on this life. Hope is being tightly gripped, holding that tight grip on the life to come and a loose grip on this life. It is being absolutely convinced. I am so convinced that this life is not all there is, that there is a heaven, that I'm going to stand and behold my maker face to face. I'm convinced of that. And because I'm convinced of that there, that changes how I live here. Hear me, hear me. The hopeless person is not some destitute person on the, brink of, on the brink of starvation in some third world country with bulging eyes looking like they're about to die. That's not the, the, the normal picture of hopelessness. Hear me. You've got to get this in your spirit. The hopeless person is actually the person who doesn't believe in the life to come. And so they don't believe in the life to come. They therefore think this world is all there is. And if this world is all there is, I might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I may die. That's hopelessness. So hear me. If I'm not convinced that I'm going to stand and behold a maker and give an account for my life, I might as well cheat on my wife. I might as well get addicted to porn. I might as well spend money the way I want to spend money. I might as well be greedy. I might as well be mean and abusive to people. If this life is all there really is, that's hopelessness. So the hopeless person is not the poor destitute person. It could actually be the rich person in the corner office at your job who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in final accountability. This life is all there is. The Bible says that's hopeless. The hopeful person is, no, it's appointed unto man once to die. Hebrews 9, 27 says, and then the judgment. And because I'm going to have to face God, that's going to impact how I live right now. So sort of like me, you know, some of y'all, y'all travel a lot and uh, I travel a little bit and there's been times I don't say it this way, but something to the effect where I'll leave on a Tuesday, I've got a 15 year old, 13 year old, 11 year old, all boys. And sometimes you just got to jam your boys up. I looked them in the eye. Don't you, don't you be a burden, not to your mother, to my wife. Sometimes we dads have to say that that's my wife. She was here before you got here and she's going to be here after you leave and you are leaving up out of here. Right? 
So I'll, I'll say to them, let's say I leave on a Tuesday. Hey guys, I'm leaving on a Tuesday. Be back on Friday, Lord willing. When I come back on Friday, I'm going to get a good report. If I get a good report, we're going to go have ice cream. We're going to go kick it, do something. If I get a bad report, you're going to give me your cell phones. You're on lockdown for about a week or whatever. Now, what have I just done? What I've just done is say, I've, I've said is I'm going away. There's a future date. I'm coming back. When I'm coming back, there's going to be accountability. Let that reminder of Friday impact how you live on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So that's what Jesus is saying. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And you're going to have to give an account for something. Now I'm coming back, not for you to speculate when I'm coming back, but because I'm coming back, you should treat people different. You should handle money different. We have a different hope and that means we live differently. Hope is ethical. And because hope is ethical, we have a different conduct. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you, underline it, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now this word holy is used over 900 times in the Bible. You can't understand your Bible without understanding the word holy. The word holy, watch it now, it literally means to cut. It means to cut. So here's what happened to you. You got saved. God saved you. If this is the world, this sheet of paper, God saved you. Here's what he did to you. On whatever date he saved you, September 11th, 2016, what God did was he cut you out of the world. You're still in the world, but he cut you. The word, the word to cut, holy, it also means to consecrate. The idea of to consecrate means, I love it, to set apart. That's what God did to you. You got saved. He set you apart. To set apart means different. This is different from this. It used to be the same. Now it's different. You tracking with me on that? You are different. But now some of you are really smart because you're going, wait a minute, so... So if I'm already that way, why is Peter in our text calling me to be that way? Why is he telling me to be holy if I already am holy? Sort of like my last name. I have a last name, Loritz. If you ever bump into a Loritz, directly related to me. It's a peculiar last name. It ain't like Jones or Johnson or Jenkins or any of that stuff. It is Loritz. Peculiar. On February 11, 1973, I came into this world. My parents named me Loritz. Fast forward 16, 17 years later, when I first started to drive, wanted to go out and hang out with my friends, I would ask for the keys to our Burgundy Ford Aerostar minivan. Took that bad boy to the junior prom. Dad would toss me the keys to the Burgundy Ford Star, uh, uh, Ford Aerostar minivan. And as he would toss them to me, he would say these words to me, son, remember who you are. What he was calling to me at that point was, is you're a Loritz. And Loritz are men of integrity. Now live into what I've already declared you to be. So I want you to get this word. You got saved. Your last name was changed to saint or holy. Now, when you go to work on Tuesday or Wednesday, God is saying, remember who you are. I just want you, Peter says, be holy. I want you to walk into what God has already called you to be different. Different. 
You're different. You're different. You're different. If you're a high school student, embrace that. You're different. Middle school, you're different. College student, you're you're different. Well, how specifically can I be different? Let me give you three quick ways. I think Christians should be different, the Bible says, when it comes to our money. Look at Leviticus 19, 9 through 10 with me on the screen. God, God says, this is God talking. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. This is hilarious. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So here's what's hilarious about it. He's talking to an agrarian society. And he says, when you go to your field, the field is your money. I don't want you to get the most money out of, you can, out of your field that you can. Israel's going, what? Yeah. I want you to actually leave edges to your field. Now, now, if your next door neighbor is a Gentile, and the Gentiles are looking at your field during harvest season, they're knocking on your door. Hey, man. Yeah, yeah, it's been great getting to know you. Um, this is our first harvest season here. I don't know what school you went to for farming, um, but I just want you to understand the way farming works, your Gentile buddies telling you is you just reap all the way to the edges. You get the most out of it. Why are there still edges in your field? That's different. And then the Jewish guy goes, well, actually, I serve God, so I'm glad you're asking why it's different. And God actually, he, he doesn't want us to lean on government programs like welfare to take care of the poor. He actually thinks that God's people can do a good job taking care of God's poor if we would only give God's way. And so instead of me buying a bigger house and instead of me getting more land, instead of me acquiring more, he actually says, why don't you just leave a little bit on the edges and there's been times when I've been out here watering grass and I've seen a sojourner or a poor person come and, and I've told them to actually come and, and to glean in my field. In fact, just last week, there was a girl named Ruth. My name's Boaz. And, and here I am, Boaz, just leaning on what God told me to do. And here's how I met my wife, Ruth. I was just obeying God. Different. You can enjoy to be wealthy is not to be sinful. But a greedy, hoarding, never give to the poor Christian is an oxymoron. And it burns me to hear Christians complain about government as if they're waiting on government to do what the church should be doing. Yeah, I knew you wouldn't clap that much on that one. It's going to run on the head, Pastor. Just hurry up. <laughs> Secondly, we're different with our time. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Holy means one day of the week, different. Different. Six days, seventh day, different. Finally, for the sake of time, Christians should be different as it relates to how we steward sex. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. Y'all quiet this morning, Doc. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body 
In what? Say it louder. In what? In holiness. I don't know how to cut good, but you get the visual. Different. And honor. Not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. So my wife and I, we were at a marriage retreat uh, last uh, Sunday, Monday, and on into Tuesday. And my dad was sharing at the marriage retreat. And I forgot about this uh, until my dad shared it and actually reminded me. My my dad traveled a lot growing up. And uh, wife, four kids, he's been married for 45 years. And, And if you were ever to be a roommate with my dad back in the 80s, 90s when he was traveling a lot, you would, you would see something really different about him. My dad walked, would walk into a hotel room. First thing he would do is he'd take out an 8 by 10 picture of his family and put it on the hotel mirror. They asked my dad this weekend, why did you do that? He says, I needed a visual reminder not to screw up. That I got a lot of people counting on me. And I may be thousands of miles away from home, but I need to keep my vow. And if you saw that, what would you think? Different, different, different. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Different. Finally, he ends by saying we need to be different because we have a different leader. And I'm just going to rush through this. Verse 18, know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through whom are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He says, "Why why should you be different? Praise God. We do not have a leader who says, do as I say, not as I do. We should be different because Jesus was different. Just as exile is spelled D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T, Jesus is likewise spelled D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-T. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to get to know him, there are four sanctioned biographies on the life of Jesus. They're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you read all four, what you'll come to terms with is this guy was just different. He was different. So to say I follow Jesus, but I look like the world is a contradiction in terms. I'm different because my leader is different. Cormac and the band can come. We're about to shut it down. Hear me. I need this word. We need this word. God did not go to extraordinary lengths to save you so that you could live an ordinary life. Are you getting this word today? God did not go to extraordinary lengths to save you so that you can lead an ordinary life. And hear me, don't you go out here and think that being different is what you don't do. And so you announce to the world, I don't see rated R movies and I don't do that and I don't do that. No, no, no. Let them just see by your life. You don't have to say anything. That's self-righteousness and legalism. I don't want that to be a part of our, bo- of our body. But just by the way you treat your wife, the fact that you come home every day, the fact that you are loving and caring and kind, this should just be a difference. You know the Winchester house down the street here? Tens of thousands of people go there every year. 
Why? Because it ain't the biggest house. It ain't the nicest house. They go there because it's different. Are people attracted? Are they coming to you like Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? Are they coming to you because they just see something different about you? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this body. I pray that abundant life would be known as just a different people. That we're different in how we treat our enemies. We're different in how we worship. We're different in how we serve. We're different in how we love. We're just different. Not in an arrogant, self-righteous way. But we're different because our leader is different. Our faith is different. Our gospel is different. God, I just bless our body with that. And Lord, that you would give us the discernment to be able to see and know how to flesh that out in our context. I just pray that. So just give us wisdom for what that looks like on the job and give us wisdom for what that looks like in the classroom and give us wisdom for what that looks like in relationships and give us wisdom for what that looks like and how we parent and give us wisdom and what that looks like and how we give. Just give us wisdom. We refuse. We reject right now ordinary. As old singing group commission used to say, ordinary just won't do. So, Father, I pray for someone here today who does not know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would save souls today in the name of Jesus. That you would cut people out today from the world and consecrate them unto you. I pray that in the name of Jesus. I pray for any believer here today who may be going, I I need you to pray for me, Pastor, because I feel like I'm living an ordinary life. I pray that they would come to the altar and receive grace and forgiveness and mercy from you. I ask right now in the name of Jesus, amen. Two calls, we won't hold you long. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you want to be cut out from the world right now. You you want this different thing. We invite you right now. Or if you're here today and you say, I do know Jesus, but I'm just going to be really honest. And this is a safe place to confess and repent. And I want to receive God's grace and forgiveness. I want a fresh start today. I feel ordinary. I'm a Christian, but I don't feel different. And I I, I want to be prayed for. To feel different, to make a different stand today. We invite you now to come. Two calls. If you don't know Jesus Christ. The first time you want to come, get to know him, give your life to him. Or two, if you do know Jesus Christ, but you feel like I've been living an ordinary life, and I want to be strengthened to stand differently, would you come? The altar is now open. Would you 